We're continuing our studies in Gospel of John. And today we're going to finish chapter 5. And let me begin with this uh, question today. What will it take for you to really believe in Jesus? You might think of several different, oh, I would have no problem believing in Jesus. And not only just the beginning point of your becoming a Christian, but every day, even these days. In the obstacles, in the hardships, harsh realities that you face. And as a church, as we have experienced uncertainty of where we meet, and hoping that we will have uh, solutions after this uh, location. What will it take? And today's passage actually speaks loudly about that. And there's a hidden component of the today's passages. And Jesus speaks of witnesses to him, to himself, his identity and his radical truth claims. But I want you to know that his hidden undercurrent theme is is all about what it takes to really believe. Or, in other words, why our hearts don't really believe. So with that in mind, uh, let me do a quick recap on John chapter verse 19 through 29 that we have already studied and after healing the paralytic of 38 years on Sabbath day and the Jewish uh, religious Jews objected their rising opposition and persecution was Jesus was tremendously intensified Jesus instead of Defending himself about Sabbath law, he went on to creating even deeper controversy. The four truth claims, radical, should I say even exclusive truth claims. Truth claim number one, Jesus is equal with God. In description, he is basically saying his unique relationship to God. Such as, such as, I can do nothing without his approval. Or what he, whatever I do, Father also does. I just reflect what Father does. In his real, unique relationship, my Father loves me. And then at the same time, he's shared the prerogatives Divine prerogatives as the God, the Son. All the things God can do, Jesus does. So basically, this is as offensive as you can possibly be to the Jews. It was not just offensive of violating Sabbath law, commanding the paralytic to the uh, to it's a legalistic thing to pick up the bed 
and walk. And it was actually the, the most offensive thing is about his self-claim of equality with God. Truth, number, truth claim number two, Jesus gives new life to the spiritually dead, which means sinners, on the present day. If you believe me and the one who sent me you have been removed from death to life. Past tense, the giving life today, and what it means to become a, a believer in Christ in everyday life. Once we're spiritually dead, or separated from God, now we become spiritual life. We could feel the things that we ought to feel. When we read the scripture, uh, when it comes to sin in, in our lives, when it comes to what pleases our soul, what pleases God, the signs of eternal life, new life. Truth claim number three is Jesus will raise the physically dead on the future day. Particularly this passage is Expounding on not only the resurrection of the believers in the future, but the resurrection of unbelievers as well. All will be raised. And which leads to fourth claim, Jesus will judge all people on the final day. One day, whether you believed in Jesus or not, whether you followed Jesus or not, or persecuted, or opposed, or, or uh, with all the intensity hated Jesus, everyone will be standing before the throne of Jesus, judgment seat of Jesus. These are incredible claims. And then today's passage takes on a course that uh, in, in, in a way that it, it is kind of uh, peculiar, and studying with um, verses 30 to 32, he says this, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is still union with the Father, the triune God. And then as he prefaces that, he says, 31, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that hears, he hears he bears about me is true. The first problem, verse 31, if, anyone, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Jesus bore witnesses about himself 29 verses of chapter 5 through his works and his, his truth claims. But does that mean whatever he proclaims and witnesses about himself is not really true. 
you know, we need to understand the background, the cultural context that any Jew of that day would understand without even interpretation. And the Jewish law comes from this uh, requirement of two or three witnesses principle. And from Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 15, and other chapters, uh, it says, A single witness shall not suffice against a person for any crime for, or for any wrong in connection with any offense that he has committed. Only on the evidence of two witnesses or of three witnesses shall a charge be established. Because of this, in the present day of Jesus, every Jew was fully aware of, you can just testify about yourself and just tell them, believe me. You need two other witnesses at least. And then another thing is this. Two witnesses must to agree with each other completely. Otherwise, that becomes one of them is false. And on top of that, because of this uh, rule, false witnesses were persecuted and punished as severely as you can possibly be. Sometimes death penalty. So they took this very seriously. So Jesus is saying, I am not the only one who's testifying of myself because I alone, my testimony is, is not enough for the, in, in the core of the law. And he goes, second problem. There is another who bears witness about me, he says. Another who bears witness this is a little ambiguous. And some commentators might say this is intentional because it could be John the Baptist or it could be God the Father. But contextually, when Jews, religious Jews heard this, another who bears witness, and he brings up John the Baptist. Oh, maybe another one is John the Baptist. But if this is a time that it will be helpful to look at each word in original context. In Greek, the word another has two different words. One of, one of them is heteros, which from, from which we got the word heterosexual kind of thing. So other kind. Another of different kind. The second Greek word is allos. Another of the same kind. Could you give me another one? Another one. I have an apple, but I want another one. And you give me another apple, that will be ours. Could you give me another one? And then instead of apple, you give me pear or orange or watermelon. That would be heterous. If this is intentional on Jesus' word, Jesus' way, of putting it, and John the, John the Apostle is using this Greek intentionally, Koine Greek. The implication is 
in his unique relationship, in verse 30, he reiterated, as the son, everything he does is from, the God, from God the Father. Therefore, there is another, which means God the Father, who bears decisive witnesses to Jesus. So he presents four witnesses here in this, uh, verse 32 40, 47. But in s- some sense, uh, God the Father and God the Holy Spirit in Scripture, in other words, a triune testimony is there. But contextually, let's look at one at a time. Here's first witness, John the Baptist, verse 33. You have sent to John, this is not John the Apostle, the author of the Gospel of John, but John the Baptist, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from men, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. John the Baptist's testimony, uh, if I just introduce, regurgitate what we have already studied in the three ways. John the Baptist said, I am the voice, one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, he quoted Isaiah, as the prophet Isaiah said. Way of the Lord. Way of the Lord meaning the coming Messiah. I am not the Messiah. I'm not the Christ. The one who is coming after me is greater than me. 129, John says, Behold the Lamb of God, pointing to Jesus, who takes away the sin of the world. And everyone knew what Lamb of God meant. The redemption, the, the, the Messiah that who will take away the sins of the world. John 1, 33 to 34, he says, This is he who baptized with the Holy Spirit. I baptize with the water, but he's the one who's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and borne witnesses, witness that this is the Son of God. Jesus says, I do not rely on man's witnesses. I do not need the authentication from man. But for you, since you have given the respect, at least for a while, about John the Baptist, John the Baptist was widely supportive, and even the, the Pharisees were not even Uh, able to criticize him critically because everyone, the general consensus was so strong and respectful about the ministry of John the Baptist and his baptism. But and yet his witness, they they didn't accept. They rejected John the Baptist 
God-sent witness. In a way that Jesus is pointing, my father is witnessing through John. Would you listen to him? Witness number two is the works of Jesus. Verse 36. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that, I, that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. See, once again, God the Father, the divine witness, is giving witness to the works of Jesus. How? Because of the works of Jesus was validated with miracles. There are seven signs of Jesus, the miracles that he did in the first part of Gospel of John. And Gospel of John, once again, is very intentionally organized, not in a, a biographical way, but in terms of thematic way. The, the seven miracles, seven signs that Jesus performed, which we saw already uh, three, three signs so far, the changing of water into wine and the healing of the nobleman's son. And the third one is it healing the paralytic at the pool of Bethsaida. And the fourth one next Sunday, we'll hear about the feeding, the, the famous story of feeding of the 5,000. What is the purpose? God is giving witness through the works of Jesus, which can be done only God. The miracles are only what God can do. And then sometimes we get, uh, and even to these days, we get confused about, oh, this sounds like a supernatural thing happened. And do you know that even cults, cults and other movements have the seemingly miraculous events happening? But Jesus is what the works of Jesus to differentiate clarity is the miracle versus magic. Magic is trick. Do you remember Moses? performed the miracles in front of Pharaoh and then uh, Pharaoh's servants. He's magicians and basically witch doctors were able to copy some of it. And along the line, they just couldn't keep up anymore. This is the true sign, true sign of divine God. Then everything that Jesus did and even healing of the paralytic, it was instantaneous. It's not like a, you, you need to go in and work on it and, you know, go through therapy for a few weeks, and you might get better. And if you have a stronger faith every day, you'll get stronger. No, instantaneously, the voice of Jesus was the voice that created heaven and earth from nothing. Let there be light. That same voice. 
And this uh, has a John's purpose of introducing these signs. And there is a crescendo. At the very end of seventh sign, Jesus will raise Lazarus, his dear friend, from death. So the works of Jesus gives true credential or authentication of who Jesus really is. Witness number three is the voice of God the Father. Verse 16, when Jesus was baptized, I'm sorry, Verse 37, and the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have heard, never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe in the one whom he has sent. As Jesus is going further, my Father himself personally bore witnesses. And you don't hear voice, his voice. You don't have his word in your heart. It's more revealing about their unbelief. So this is, in, in some sense, Jesus is making general comments about why they do not have a belief. But when you look at the voice you have never heard. But actually, in the crowd, if you remember when Jesus was baptized, uh, for example, Matthew 3, 16 to 17, when, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God de descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. So Jesus is saying, <clears throat> not only John the Baptist, not only my works of ministry, the miracles, but the voice of God the Father has already borne witness in front of the crowd. And there was a second occasion, transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain. Peter, James, and John were called to follow him only. And on that day, when Jesus was transfigured with full glory, in shining face, the voice from heaven, very similar way, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Witness number four is the scriptures. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that, they are, that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. Interestingly, up until now, 
he hasn't done this, but this time around, he begins with affirmation. Do you see that? You search the scriptures because you think in them, with the right purpose also too, you have eternal life. Especially Pharisees are known for their devotion. So as we listen to this, I think it's really relevant to each one of us, especially churches like us. So we strongly encourage scripture guidance, not on Sunday morning only, but when you get up in the you know, everyday life, you open your scripture to guide it by the Spirit and dependent on the Spirit through prayer. I think that's wonderful. Any believers in this day and age who says, I am avid student of the Bible. Way to go. Instead of listening to men's idea, I want to open up God's word. God's inspired word. Pharisees said, the problem was the main theme and the focus, central focus of all the scripture in this, in this context is the Old Testament. Moses' five first books, Pentateuch, and the prophets and the Psalms. And the wisdom books. All that was pointing to Jesus. Not just, not just the New Testament. How did you miss it? Jesus is saying. So in, in, in this sense, I think we need to be very careful about just because you are studying the Bible or reading the Bible or you value the time that you spend time knowing the Scripture doesn't mean you're close to Jesus. Unless the implication is you need to give heed to the true message, all that scripture says. And that will lead you to Christ. Even in the Psalms, you will see Christ. Even in, even in Exodus, you will see Psalms. Jeremiah, you will see you will see Christ. Even in Proverbs, you will see Jesus. So we are... Um, bringing up the torch of our vision at our church again. And typically we call it quiet time. Quiet time means the time alone with God, with Scripture, and the prayer. Whether it could be just 10, 15 minutes a day, and some of you cannot allocate 30 minutes or 40 minutes a day. That intentional submission to the authority of Scripture and the guidance of the Scripture and listening to the voice of God through Scripture and then we meet Jesus every day through Scripture. 
I cannot overemphasize the importance of the quiet time in everyday life. You, you know, as you heard over and over, in order to really devote and understand, grasp the Bible, the scripture as our scripture guidance, you know, all these five fingers, the one of the, the little finger is listening, hearing. So exactly what you're doing. And you could listen to the radio. There's sound teachings that are available there too. A podcast, that's fine. Reading the scripture, studying the scripture, and memorizing the scripture. What's the last one? Most important thumb. Come on. Meditation. Meditating the script meditating on the scripture. Why is it important? It's kind of difficult to let it stand. But if you have four fingers, this is stable. But once we think that we have hidden the word of God in our hearts, the Satan, the evil one, snatches away by worry, by stress, by conflict, as if we never got it. But if you have heard and meditate, and if you read the scripture and meditate on it as well, if you study it and meditate, and if you memorize and meditate, it is treasuring. In a way, downloading instead of listening online, downloading into our hearts. And our minds and hearts are renewed by the Word of God. That's the way of transformation. So I want to have an intentional time. It's just a little bit of this insertion, this message. I believe it's a spirit-led as well. To encourage you to have a right perspective of quiet time. Quiet time is not just a a duty that you, I did my part in doing it, but really seeking that my heart is applied with the scripture daily, and that my prayer comes as a response to what I have heard. If you and I are genuinely committed, the Spirit will change our lives. Oh, there are so many times I feel convicted in during, the, during the quiet time. But when I skip those times, or when I gloss, gloss over that kind of you know, time, and what happens, I could rationalize most of everything. And the gentle whispers of Jesus through the Holy Spirit in our heart. We hear the voice of God. Through written word of God. In the beginning of the message I said, Think of this question. What will it take for you to really believe in Jesus? 
not only in your conversion, but even right now, with all the hardships that you face. And the rest of the verses, verse 41 to 47, is actually Jesus revealing the truth, real truth, about belief, about true faith, about the true reasons of unbelief. In a way, there is a threefold indictment against unbelief in Jesus. Listen to this, verse 41. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. For I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from each other, praise and approval from each other, and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? There are threefold indictment. Do you see it? The first one is, it's really not lack of evidences and witnesses that you do not believe. Well, let's stress that just a little further. Um, in my during teenage years, and I was struggling with my faith, um, the front reasons usually about scientific things. But the truth in my heart, there was an emotional reason. So some things didn't go the way I thought should go. Like, for example, someone gets really sick and die, your loved one. And then the emotional reason is, if God is fair and just, he should have done it. For that moment, we don't realize our heart condition, that we become the center of the universe and judging everything. So in, because of that, when you think about any skeptics and agnostics, do they really have an intellectual problem? Some of them at least have some mental blocks. We need to help them to, to, to uh, provide intellectual things for them to really understand. There are books like that as well. But at the heart of it, like Jesus is saying, the true problem is not intellectual problem. True problem is not lack of evidences or witnesses. It's the heart problem. Indictment number one, it is because of lack of love 
of, for God within you. In other words, faith, true faith is all about loving God as a heart, our heart's true pursuit or true motive. Lest we think that it is about non-Christians believing, let's think about whether we really believe and trust in Jesus and walk with Jesus. Number one, if our heart motive and the central pursuit is not about loving God and loving our own egotistical ideas, we will never believe. We will never trust. We will never grow in true faith. Number two, it is because of seeking praise and approval from men, not from God. And this is really the central reason. And John Piper's definition in light of this is beautiful. And it's really something I needed. Faith is a drinking of a living water for the satisfaction of our souls. Yes, even in the midst of pain and suffering and hardships. And as you know, you know, my father-in-law passed away a few months ago. And then my mother-in-law is going through depression and all kinds of problems. She ran into the front door of a store. She was in news. And my wife is affected by that. And we don't know how to help her. Case number one, as my case, if God is almighty and he gets everything done and he's really good, he really cares about me, and he's going to fix everything, and my mother-in-law will be healthy, my mother-in-law will love going to church, my mother-in-law will never complain about anything the way, the way we help. Who is God? Who is the center of the universe? Or, the picture is, if we drink of living water that Jesus gives for the satisfaction of our souls today, this morning, this afternoon, oh God, transform our hearts so that we may be satisfied in the morning every day. Number three indictment is it is because of not believing in the scripture. And in, in their case, Moses was everything to them. Because he is the lawgiver, because he is the leader of the Israelites out of delivered out of the Egypt. Now Jesus is saying, faith is believing all that scripture says, which leads us to faith in Jesus. And brothers and sisters, I don't know about details of your life. But may I gently yet firmly encourage you, today is the day that you could grow in your faith with all the problems that you have, not after. Will you center your life on loving God? 
Will you drink of living water of Jesus for the satisfaction of your soul? Will you believe all that scripture says as you open up to scripture and be guided by Jesus? Walk with Jesus. I want to close with this quote from John Piper. What is the love of human glory? I'm sorry. Piper writes, Why is the love of human glory rather than God's glory so contradictory to faith? I can see two reasons. One is that true faith in Jesus gives all glory to God and none to ourselves. Faith comes to Christ destitute of any claim to be glorious or to be praised. So the love of human praise is a great obstacle to faith. It must die. The other reason that the love of human glory is contradictory to faith is that faith is a drinking of a living water for the satisfaction of our souls. This is where I got it from. And the well of that water is the glory of Christ. And when we are satisfied with him, the enslaving power of the craving for human glory is broken, broken by the power of a superior satisfaction. When you have tasted the beauty of God and the approval of God in Christ, the addiction to the human approval is broken and you are free. May God open your eyes to the glory of Christ and awaken a spiritual taste for his living water and give you faith and set you free. My encouragement for Crossway family members and all those of your brothers and sisters who are sitting in with us and including guests. The true transformation begins with from our inside out, not outside in. Would you change your heart and posture to Jesus Christ? Which means in our everyday life, to the scripture first, lest we get caricature of Jesus from, from the culture or media, from scripture. Where, as you listen to the voice of Jesus, would you submit? Would you trust him with all you have? Then you will taste the water, living water in spite of your pain and your problems. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you give us, even this morning, a living water. Oh, We sense that satisfaction and even just a little bit of that taste of living water is so good to us, good to our soul. We know it.
and teach us to not only pay attention to these decisive witnesses, but deal with our hearts by the grace of God and mercy of God. Yes, our sins are many, but your mercy is more. Change us. Change our hearts. Teach us not to be just knowledgeable people in the Bible, but tender-hearted and transformed people who are submissive to the voice of God revealed in the written word in the scripture. Thank you so much for what you're about to do with our commitment, with our surrender. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.